Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of the Lord. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decree and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we believe that when your word is proclaimed, your voice is heard, and we want to hear your voice today. So please speak to us. Amen. One of the titles for God that you find running throughout the Bible is that he's often referred to as the living God. I wonder if you've ever run across that phrase in your Bible reading, the living God. For example, uh, Psalm 42 says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, for the ancient Hebrews to call God the living God meant a lot more than 
that they just believe God exists. You know, I'm living, you're living, everyone's living, God is living, God exists. No, it meant a lot more than that. In, in the Hebrew mindset, to call God the living God meant they believed that he is the God who is present and active in our world. God is present in our world right now, right here, and God is at work. Now, in a, in a setting like this, church service, I would imagine that most of us probably believe that. Those of us who call ourselves Christians will, will affirm our adherence to the classic Christian doctrine of divine providence, just states that God is at work in the world. We believe that God is at work. But many of us, I include myself in this, many of us um, frequently, without even knowing it, we, we place limits on our expectations of the kind of work that God can do. I mean, we, we would agree, theoretically, all things are possible with God, right? But there are certain things that we don't look for to happen. Certain things we don't pray for. Certain things we don't expect from God. Because, I mean, you know, let's be realistic. God's not going to do that, is he? And that's, listen... That's why I love Exodus chapter 18. I just love this, this passage in the Bible because here's how it helps me. This passage just kind of helps to expand for me my expectations of the kind of work God can do. And it, it does that in two ways. Uh, the, the first is this. this. This passage shows us that God can work redemptively. God can work savingly in anyone's life. In, in other words, there is no one in this world who is beyond the reach of God's grace. So my first point is this. Uh, what we learn from this passage, God can work in anyone. We, we've been studying the book of Exodus. We're at the point in the book the Israelites have escaped their slavery in the land of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. And we read here that Moses' father-in-law, a man named Jethro, he comes out to meet them, bringing with him Moses' wife and their two sons. Now, we're, we're not sure when it was that Moses' wife had gone back home to her home country of Midian to be with her family. We're not sure why she did that. Apparently, she did. And her father is saying, you know, it's time to reunite this family. So he comes bringing his daughter and his two grandsons so that they can be with uh, their husband and dad, Moses. Right? Moses greets them. He welcomes them. It's interesting. It says that he didn't kiss his wife, but he did kiss his father-in-law, which is you know, not the way I would have done it, but that's what they did back then. right? He greets them, and then Moses starts to talk to his father-in-law about the Lord. Verse 8 says, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done for Pharaoh and the and everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. So he begins to talk to his father-in-law about the Lord and then Jethro responded by praising and worshiping and declaring his faith in Yahweh, the Lord of Israel. Verse 10 and 11 says, He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. So he responds with faith, with worship, with praise to the Lord. And let me tell you, 
why this is amazing, all right? Because Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a Midianite. So he was not of the people of Israel. He was not a member of God's covenant community. He was a Midianite. And a couple of places earlier in Exodus, we read that he was a Midianite priest. Now, we're not given lots of details about Jethro's priesthood, but there's, there's a lot of reason to believe he was a pagan, idolatrous priest. His words here in verse 11 would kind of indicate he came from a polytheistic background. He says, the Lord is greater than what? Than all other gods. So he's very, very familiar with other gods, right? He's a, uh, he's a, he's a pagan priest. Uh, Numbers 25 tells us that the Midianites were closely associated with the Moabites in their worship of one particularly onerous um, deity, this false god named the Baal of Peor, just kind of a, a, an ugly, vile form of, of idolatrous worship. So many scholars believe, and with very good reason, that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a pagan idolater involved for years in a kind of witchcraft and, and, and just this, this pagan worship of false gods. And guys, this is the man who in this passage, after hearing a simple message of what the Lord had done, this is the man who responds by praising and worshiping Yahweh. And it, it seems like this is a new experience for him, a change in his life, because notice he says, now I know, now I know that Yahweh is greater than, than other gods. It's like, I didn't used to know this. This didn't used to be part of my life, but now, now I see, now I know. Now, there, there is some debate among modern scholars about exactly what's going on here. Modern scholars debate everything in, in the Bible, right? But um, all the ancient Jewish commentaries on this text, all of them pointed to this as, this as a moment of spiritual conversion in the life of this man, Jethro. They're just think about it. This is a man who for decades had been deeply, deeply entrenched in pagan practices. I mean, think of the, the kinds of strongholds that, that the evil one had built in this man's life. And, and, and he is being set free and coming to faith in the living God. So you see what I mean when I, when I say that you, you should, guys, we should never write off anyone as beyond the reach of God's grace. Amen? All right, help me out here. Amen? Yes. God can work in anyone. Now, guys, if, if that was true in the days of Moses, how much more is this true today? After Jesus Christ has crashed into the world, bringing God's grace with him. I mean, do you know what Jesus did? Jesus came into this world. He died on a cross to atone for sinners. He rose from the grave to bring the power of new life into this world. He ascended to heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, who is right now actively working in this world to bring men and women to God. That's what Jesus did. And guys, the promise of his gospel is, if anyone, you know, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they've been, regardless of how long they've been there, if anyone just turns to God with simple trust in Jesus, you know what will happen for them? That person will be forgiven and accepted and, and redeemed and restored, and, and they will be adopted into God's family. Isn't that good news? Let's just try that again. Isn't that good news? 
It's good news. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And I would just say to you, if you've never, if you've never turned to Christ with just simple repentant faith, Today, Jesus is standing before you with his arms open wide. Just saying, if you come today, just right now, don't fix anything, don't change anything, just come to me. Oh my, he will receive you with forgiveness and love and power and life like you cannot even imagine, right? And, and so that's what happens in this story. Moses tells his father-in-law about the Lord and this old idolater. His life is changed. Now, Moses had to talk with him about the Lord. and it would I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I find it hard to talk with people about God. Is anyone else like that? Especially, isn't it weird, especially with family members? It's kind of hard with family members because they've seen you at your worst. And your mom changed your diapers. Don't expect her to line up to hear a sermon from you, right? She, she, you know, she's seen you at your worst. Jethro had seen Moses at his worst. I mean, when he met Moses, Moses was at the bottom of his life right there. And so it, it can be it can be hard to talk about these things. But would you agree with me that it's important? Martin Luther King said, our lives, begin, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Guys, the gospel matters. Eternal life matters. And so Moses, somehow he found the courage to talk to his father-in-law just said, let me, let me tell you about the Lord. And it, w- it wasn't always that way with Moses. I don't know if you recall, way back in chapter 4, when Moses first met the Lord. That, you know, Moses was out in the wilderness. He was shepherding the, the sheep, and God appears to him in the burning bush. The Lord says, I'm sending you back to Egypt to set the people free. When Moses first met the Lord, he, it seemed like he was afraid to talk to Jethro about him. Because if you, if you look in chapter 4, he goes to Jethro, and instead of saying, you know, Dad, I, I met the Lord, and he's sending me to Egypt. You know what he says? He says, I want to go back to Egypt to visit my family. <laughs> he's, like a, he's like afraid to talk about it. But somehow now he's like, you know what? I don't know if I'll ever see him again. It may be the last time I'm with this man Jethro. I care about him. I love him. I'm just going to tell him the kinds of things that God has been doing. And I know he's, an, he's a hardened pagan. But I just want him to know. And he tells his father-in-law about the Lord. And there's this amazing work of God. This man has changed. Um, If you find it hard to talk with people about the Lord, if you're like me, I I just want a a little plug for um, a seminar that we're going to have next month. You've been hearing about it. We're calling it Competent to Love. We're we're doing it. We're taking a, a, a Friday evening, a Saturday morning, and we're just gathering as a church so that we can learn how to be better equipped to love, all right, as a church, to love God, to love each other, to love the world around us. And part of that will be a good hour of instruction. Pastor Jeffrey's going to be just talking about evangelism, which means how to, how to tell others about Christ. And I want you to understand so you're not frightened of this. The goal of that class is not to turn everyone here into like a sales rep for Jesus, you know, out there, you know, drumming up business for the Lord. The, the, go- the goal of this is just to help wouldn't it be great if every one of us in this church just got a little bit more comfortable 
about talking to people about Jesus. That's, 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 that's all we want, right? So Moses talks to his father-in-law, and, and uh, I just kind of, this grabs my imagination. Can you imagine how Moses felt when he saw Jethro respond this way, and then Jethro invites Moses and, and all the elders of, of Israel to come and worship God with him. He offers a sacrifice to the living God. And here's this man whose hands had been offering sacrifices for decades to ugly pagan idols. And now he's worshiping the living God with Moses. I just can't imagine how Moses felt. This is crazy. Here I am worshiping God with Jethro. I wonder if there's anyone in your life, somebody you care about, and right now they're just really far from Christ. I want you to use your imagination right now. Imagine they're sitting next to you here. And when it's time to worship, they stand and their hands are in the air and there's tears coming down their cheeks and they're just praising Jesus with all their heart. You, you thinking of somebody? Because they've come to know his grace. But when it's time to come to the table, they're marching up with just their heads held high, so happy to be part of the, somebody who's far from him now. Just can you imagine that? Listen, God can do that. You believe me? God does stuff like that every single day. Pray for this. Look for this. Long for this. Don't stop talking to God about this. God can work in anyone. So that's the first way this, this passage just kind of expands my expectations. God can work in anyone. The second way is this. You, you see here that God can work through anyone. Uh, verse 13 and 14 says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around from morning till evening? He's like, Jethro's like, Moses, this doesn't even make any sense. What's the matter with you? Why are you the only one trying to serve the Lord? Why are you the only one that gets to serve people's needs? What, you think you're the only one God can use? Get some other people involved for crying out loud. Get them to help you. So he says to him, verse 21, select capable men from among all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials over the people. And, and he says, this will make your load lighter because they will share the load with you. So that's, that's his advice to his son-in-law. He, he says, listen, um, get other, let other people be used by God. And I don't, we don't know if, if Jethro realized it, but when he gave Moses that advice, he was actually touching on one of the central truths of the whole Bible. And, and, that, and that is the fact that God does not only work through the elite few, right? God works through all of his people, through all of us. You get to the New Testament, that truth is just expanded exponentially. In, in the New Testament, we, we read that Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church and that through the Holy Spirit, God gives spiritual gifts to all of his children. 
Every believer in Jesus Christ, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and given gifts by God to serve the church and, and to serve others. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. So God can work through anyone. Now, again, little plug. I'm sorry, I don't want this to be like an infomercial for that, for that seminar. But another thing at this seminar, we're going to be, um, there will be a class just talking about spiritual gifts. What does that mean, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people? What, what might be your gifting from the Lord? How would you use that? It's, it's very practical. And I think, guys, very important for our church at this stage in what God is doing here. Why? Because, just to bear my heart, I am ready to see God work here. And he works through all of us, right? All of us. So that's the advice Jethro gives to Moses. He says, man, Moses, would you get some more people involved in this, please? You know, you're spending all day. The people are tired. They're standing in line. Would you please, you know, let some other people serve the Lord? And, and uh, I could understand if Moses had, had resisted that. Can you understand because after all, he's Moses, right? I mean, no one's going to do it better than Moses. But you, here's why. Moses was hands down the best educated person in, in all of Israel. I mean, they, they were a slave nation. They had, all, they had all grown up deprived of educational opportunities except for one guy. You, you remember, Moses, how this, this providential um, turn of events allowed him to grow up in Pharaoh's courts and be educated by the best professors in the whole. He's more educated than anyone. And besides that, he's the guy with the, the powerful stick, you know, the rod of the Lord. He's the guy that, that had brought down the plagues and parted the Red Sea and the water from the rock. I mean, nobody is like Moses. He's the LeBron James of ancient Israel. No one can play like him, right? But Moses listened to his father-in-law and he said, you know what? He's right. Other people need to be used by God and in, in the work that he's doing here. So verse 24 says, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He got others involved. And this is just, this is just the beginning. To kind of tell you where we're headed, when we get to the end of Exodus, we will be there in June, Moses is called upon to accomplish what I think was the most significant work he did in his entire life. More important than rescuing the people from Egypt, more important than parting the Red Sea, more important than leading them through the wilderness, even more important than giving them the law. His most important work he is called upon to build the tabernacle for the Lord. And we'll explain it, but this is, this is so that God himself could live in the midst of his people. And when it came time for Moses to build the tabernacle, he did not do all of the work. In fact, he didn't even do most of the work. In fact, he didn't do any of the work. He just took the plans and turned them over to the community. And he got men and women from every tribe in all of Israel and all the whole community. They built the tabernacle together. They were all involved in the work of building. It's, it's like Moses finally learned, man, you should never limit God. God can work through, and God will work through anyone. Don't limit him. 
I wonder, it's so common, this is why I wonder, I wonder if anyone here, if you're, you're kind of doing that, you're kind of limiting what you expect God to do through you. You just feel like, yeah, I don't think he's going to use me in any important way. I, don't, I, I know my past, I know my struggles, I know my weakness, I don't think he can. You know what, if you have that struggle, if Moses were here today, what do you think he would tell you? I think he'd say, would you just cut it out, please? Stop it. Stop limiting what God can do through your life. He can do amazing. Now, here's why Moses would say that. Do you remember where Moses was, who Moses was, what had happened in his life when God first called him? Back in chapter 3, when God appeared to Moses and called him to go be this great deliverer for the people, Moses was, it was the lowest point of his life. He was a washed up, worn out nobody. His, his whole life, he started with such potential, it had failed miserably. He was a shepherd out in the wilderness. He wasn't even shepherding his own flock. He didn't even have his own flock. He was, he was a complete failure. God appeared to him and said, Moses, I have a plan for you. Remember Moses like, no, can, you, can you please call someone else? I don't talk very well. Use somebody else. And, Mo, and God was like, mm, I'm going to use you. Now, it's interesting to me when you think about what kind of man or woman God will use. This, this, old, this old guy, Jethro, man, he, he was pretty smart. He had some insight, right? Because he, I, I love what he says in verse 12. He says to Moses, select capable men. He's like, you need capable people. And then he defines what he means by capable. Notice that, verse 12. He, he doesn't say, select capable men from among the people. And here's what I mean by capable. I mean Ivy League education. I mean tall and good looking. I mean athletic and smart. That's the kind of people that will be following. No. He doesn't say that. He says, select capable men. He says, here's what I mean. They fear God. In other words, their relationship with God is the most important thing in their life. He says they are trustworthy. You know, they, they, they follow through on their commitments. They're obedient to the Lord. And he says they hate dishonest gain. There's an integrity to them. Back, back when I was a kid, you know what preachers would always say? You ever hear this? Preachers love to, preachers love to say things that kind of have a ring to them. So they'd say this. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability, right? And, and you know what? That's really true. God is not looking for the best educated person in this room. He's not looking for the strongest person. He's just looking for people who admit that they're weak and broken and who place their lives in his hands. Are you willing to do that? I mean, you might feel like, well, I don't know if I... Fear God, trustworthy, life of integrity. I've been, I, I, really, I, really haven't, I really haven't been living up to that lately. I haven't been living very... Listen. Place your life in Jesus' hands. I don't care where you are today. If, you, if, you've, if you've been failing and sinning, you know what? He forgives, doesn't he? Doesn't he? If he doesn't, I don't have any hope. He forgives. He restores, he empowers, he in, infills people with the Spirit. And I really believe God is just looking for some boys, girls, men and women today who just say, use me. And he will. 
You say, well, what does that mean? I'm going to like win the Super Bowl and I get to stand up on the stage and talk about, you know, maybe. I expect, however, he'll do something much more important than that with you. Much more important. He'll just use your life, and perhaps in some way that the world doesn't notice, but your life to touch the life of someone else in a way that changes them. Guys, God wants to use us because he's the living God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, forgive me, forgive us for ways that we may have limited you with our expectations. I pray that in this church and in the network of relationships represented here, I pray that you would surprise us in these coming days with people whom you reach with the saving gospel of Christ. Just bring some amazing conversions. Show off, God, show off your power. I pray that you would work through people in this church. That we wouldn't put limits on what you can do through us. Do mighty things, God. And we will give you all the praise. Amen.